Well, good morning. How are you today? We are starting a new series today called Mirage. And um, I decided it would probably be really helpful to start off with a mirage. What is a mirage? And here is what the dictionary defines it as. Um, it is an optical phenomenon, especially in the desert or at sea, by which the image of an object appears displaced above, below, or to one side of its true position as a result of spatial variations of the index refraction of air. Everyone got it? Clear as... I, I, I was reading that the first time. I was like, where's Doug Parsons when I need him? <laughs> I need someone to explain this to me. But um, I kind of cheated a little bit and came up with a little simpler definition, and it's this. Uh, a mirage, a visual illusion without substance or reality. That's what we're going to kind of use through this series of a mirage, a visual illusion without substance or reality. And in the picture, when you think of a mirage, my guess is you think of the person in the desert crawling on their hands and knees. They've been without water for a day, and they're dying of thirst, and they look off over the sand dunes, and there along the horizon, it looks like there is this pool of water. And just a few more yards, I can have a drink. And they crawl and crawl and crawl and crawl and crawl and crawl, and they never get there. There's never any water. And they've chased after it, and they've chased after it because they're so thirsty. And they got nothing. And so as we talk about these mirages, I think there are a lot of mirages in our world. A lot of things that we are on our hands and knees, crawling, plodding through the sand, and we look out and we say, oh man, that looks so appealing. And so we're going to talk about three through this series. Wealth and power, comfort and pleasure, and obligation and obedience. Things that we look at and we say, that is where our hope is found. That is helpful. That is hopeful. But the power of a mirage, the power of the mirage is that what you think you see, that visual illusion, is based on reality. Right? You look out in the desert and you see the water, and it's based on something you know and think is true. But it's a mirage because there's no substance or reality to it. And, and we spend so much of our life chasing after things that we think are going to fulfill us and sustain us and bring us happiness and bring us hope and even save us. But as I said, it's based on something that we know, a reality. 
And so for week one of this series, I wanted to kind of hit the reality. What, it, what is it that we are looking for that we think we see in so many of these things, whether it's wealth and power or comfort and pleasure or obedience and obligation? What, what is it that we think we see? And, and the word that we're going to use is gospel. In the Greek, it's euangelion, and it means good news or gospel. That, that's the, the literal translation, good news. But what it was, was an announcement. It was a proclamation. And so kind of just asking the question, what did Isaiah mean when he said, the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor? What did Jesus mean when He said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Or what did Paul mean when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who listens. What does that word really mean? And how are there so many of these gospel mirages in our world Things that look like good news, that look to bring us hope, but constantly let us down. I want to tell you two stories. They're separated by about 2,000 years. The first one was 1987. I was in third grade at Williams Elementary. And this was a tough day because I stayed homesick from school. Felt horrible. Um... And, and one of those sick days where, where you kind of remember it, and you can say, well, why in the world do you remember a day when you were sick in third grade? Did, did you feel that bad? Well, no, it wasn't really that I felt that bad. Was it the day that you had to endure the trauma of going to the doctor and getting a shot? No, no, it wasn't that. Um, for the last several months, I had been playing a, a video game called Super Mario Brothers. And I was sick. I felt horrible. I, I did muster a little bit of strength to be able to play a little bit of the video game, but I felt terrible, trust me. And um, my parents had left me home from school that day in third grade, but my Nana was there. And my Nana wanted the best for me and loved me and watched over me. And so um, right after lunch, I had just gotten enough strength back to make my fingers work. And I sat down in front of the TV to play the game. And, and the reason I remember that day so vividly is because it is the day for the first time in my life that I came face to face with the infamous King Koopa. I made it to the final stage of level eight, and there was King Koopa. And right there that day, that, that fateful day that I remember so vividly, my young, nimble, energetic, thing, I mean, weak, sickly, <laughs> feeble fingers dodged, weaved, frolicked, and jumped through a barrage of fireballs and hammers. And that fateful day, I saved the princess. Thank you. Thank you. And I was so incredibly excited. 
and I ran across the room to my Nana who was um, enthralled in her show, like the sands of the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. And I told Nana, I said, I did it. I saved the princess. And she said, that's nice, honey. And went back to watching her show. And then I decided I'm going to call my friend Josh. I stayed with Josh and his mom every day after school until my parents got off work. And so I got on the phone, touch tone phone, and dialed the number that I had memorized. And it rang, and his mom, Kathy, answered and says, yes. I said, this is Gary. She said, okay. Um, I said, is Josh there? She said, no, he's at school. Why aren't you at school? I'm sick. She said, can I give him a message? I said, yes. When he gets home from school, tell him, I did it. I beat Mario Brothers, and I saved the princess. She goes, okay, I'll tell him. There was no excitement in her voice, no congratulation, no pomp and circumstance. No one knew what a monumental day. I had saved a two-inch pixelated princess from the evil King Koopa. And no one cared. No one wanted. I had some amazing news. Now, fast, or I'm sorry, rewind about 2,000 years ago, and there was another battle. This one had a little bit more at stake. Um, It it really began um, going back probably 50 B.C. or so, and there was a guy named Julius Caesar. He was probably the most famous, the one that all of you have heard about. A salad was named after him later. Um, But Julius (laughs) Caesar, sorry. I think that was in my notes. No. Um, so, so Julius Caesar um, was kind of enthralled in this civil war, and people wanted him dead, and there was this um, conflict that arose. And, and when there is political conflict, it usually results in a civil war. Um, and Julius Caesar ended up being assassinated in 44 B.C., and because of that, his um, son, stepson-ish um, son, um, Octavian, Um, was there. See, and Julius never was actually emperor, okay? But his son, Octavian, was furious over the death of his father, and he teamed up with a guy named Mark Antony, and they went into this civil war, this battle, with the people who were responsible for the death of Julius, Brutus and Cassius. And once they had been eliminated, something happened between Octavian, there's too many names, Octavian and Antony that caused them to go into this conflict. And so it came to a head in this very decisive naval battle where Octavian won and becomes Augustus Caesar. Antony and Cleopatra flee to Egypt where they both commit suicide. And because of that victory, what happens in the Roman Empire begins to change the course of history because there is an announcement that is made, a euangelion, as it was called, that Caesar Octavian had won this decisive battle, and now he was ruler and lord over all the earth. And so this announcement began to echo throughout 
the Roman Empire. And it was really good news for some people. But for others, it was terrible news. Because for some, they had been on Octavian's side. And they were considered his friends, and they wanted him to win. And if he was in power, that meant your life was amazing. But then there were others who had stood in opposition. And their life was going to get really, really difficult. You see, for something to be news, there are four things that have to happen, four criteria for it. One, it's an announcement of an event. Something has just happened. Two, in a larger context which this makes sense. So you have this civil war that's going on. And because this, this battle this, um, for political power and position happens, then this announcement that Octavian is now the Caesar. And third, a sudden unveiling of a new future. Now he is Caesar. Now he is king, right? And five, the transformation of the present moment. So from this point forward, now that we say and, and declare that Caesar is Lord, everything has changed going forward. Everything is different from now on. And so this became the euangelion in the Roman world. Announcing, proclaiming the good news that Caesar has won and that now Augustus has brought peace and justice and prosperity to the world. And then, this little echo in this, the corner of the Roman Empire begins to trickle out. This different announcement or proclamation. This different euangelion. Now, it's not Caesar who is Lord. It's Jesus who is Lord. Can you see how that would start to be a problem? Living in this massive global empire where everyone submitted to the rule and the reign of Caesar, and if you didn't, you died that this announcement begins to trickle throughout the empire. No, 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 not, not Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And maybe one of the, the best places in Scripture where it really defines for us this idea of euangelion is in 1 Corinthians 15. And so we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So he really begins by saying, this gospel that I gospeled to you. This proclamation that I proclaimed to you. This announcement that I announced to you. You need to hear these words because these words are important. And if you don't believe this gospel, this good news, then basically your life is in vain. 
Like you're just chasing after something that you think you see off in the future, off in the distance, that's not, that doesn't have any reality and it doesn't have any substance to it. There's nothing there. And you can chase it and chase it and chase it and never arrive. And so he says this in verse 3. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So what, what is he, he meaning? When he says gospel, I mean, it's that Jesus, this is the announcement, right? That Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, just as it said he was going to do, and then that he appeared. And, and you can say, okay, well, according to the scriptures, what, what is the scriptures that Paul's referring to? Right? It's the Old Testament. It's what we call the Old Testament. Right? In the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, is what it would be called. That, that Jesus died, was buried, was raised, and that He appeared, that He's living, that He's alive. And that the context of this bigger story, right? There's a context for this. The announcement that Jesus died and has risen takes place within a bigger context of a bigger story. That's what news requires, right? And that context is the story of God from the creation of the world forward. That, that man is sinful. Well, let me, wait, wait, wait. That's the wrong place to start. Because it starts before that. That God created man and woman and put them in a relationship with Him. Where there was peace. Where there was shalom. And things were good. And things were right. Things were as they should be. And man decided that we would pursue other things. These mirages. Here, here's this, this fruit. And if you eat it, man, it's going, it's going to make life good. You're going to have knowledge and you're going to have power and you're going to have all, you're going to be like God if you'll just eat it. And it's interesting. For some reason, we've never stopped chasing after those mirages. Because we constantly get to the price of what we think is going to fulfill us, what we think is going to make us happy, what we think is going to make us feel complete. And yet, somehow, it never does. So that God creates man and puts him in harmony with him. And man chooses something else. 
that we assume will fulfill us and it will make us complete and make us whole. And yet it doesn't. And God says, here's some laws that I want you to obey so you can be like my people and you can represent me well. And, And they can't do that either. And it comes to the culmination where God says, well, well, fine, I'm going to send my son to show you how to do this. I'm going to show you how to live. I'm going to let him walk through your world and your life. And you're going to see what life is supposed to look like in Jesus. And because of that, they're going to hang him on a cross. Because these people are going to start saying, no, 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 not not Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the hope. And they're going to hang Him on a tree. And they're going to win the victory. They get the final word. Because now he's dead. But what gives life to this story is that after he died and was placed in the tomb, there's a bunch of people who start walking around and, hey, we we saw Jesus. And if, if it's one, you kind of dismiss it. It's just, well, they were hallucinating. But then there were a lot of them that saw him. And, and this word continues to trickle, like, hey, 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 Jesus, he was dead, but he's alive. He's alive. That, that has some profound implications. And because of, if that is true, if that is true, everything from this day forward is different. If that is true, that changes everything. And there is hope where there was not hope. Because the way we understand life is death is the end. The way we understand life, death is, gets the final word. There is nothing beyond. But I want you to listen, because this isn't just a Good Friday story. right? This goes so far beyond a cross. He, He picks up a little bit later in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, go go back to the garden, if you eat of this tree, eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die. And Adam eats of this tree. And the death is not immediate. Right? It's a slow process that begins really the day you're born. There's an end. There's a final chapter. But each in turn, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ we will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits then, 
when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of, to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Okay? Um, let me do that. Yeah, go back to verse 26 real quick. Sorry. Um, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, the, this first century good news Caesar is Lord. Caesar has won the victory. Caesar has dominion. Caesar has power. And there's another king who rises up and says, no, 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 no. Caesar is not Lord. All of these followers are proclaiming Jesus is Lord. But then they do what they did to every other king in history that challenged their power and challenged the throne. They defeated him. They killed him. And that should be the end. That, that is the end of the story. That's, that is why, right, with, with these echoes of Jesus is Lord, that, that is why Paul begins this letter of Corinthians by saying, but we preached Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. Why is it foolishness? Because he's dead. We defeated him. Mark Antony, we beat him. Brutus, Cassius, they're dead. They're no more. Jesus, he challenged the throne, he's dead. This is foolishness. A stumbling block to Jews. Why, why a stumbling? The, the word for stumbling block there means scandalous. Why, why is it scandalous? Because messiahs don't die. Kings who are dead are no longer kings. But this king, all these people start to see him. That means... If that is true, that means he stood toe-to-toe with the last, final, greatest enemy. And it's an enemy that every one of us face. Death. And if that enemy has ultimate power and ultimate dominion, the only way that you can reign over it and become king over it is to beat it. And so this announcement that really begins after Jesus died, this euangelion, this good news, is only possible because the tomb was empty. See, if, if the tomb is not empty, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then death still wins the day. Death still gets the final word. I've, I've, over the last, you know, we've had a lot of loss here. Over the last couple of weeks, I've sat with two different families who've lost or are losing in the process of losing loved ones. 
And this story is what brought those loved ones hope. But, but understand this. That victory for you and I that we get to enter into Jesus and gain doesn't begin someday off in the future when we die. Right? That's always been our perception. Our, our goal is to die and go to heaven. No, 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 no. That's not the good news. Right? We have so individualized this idea of gospel to be that Jesus died for you, and that is true. And there is a personal decision that has to be made, but we have so individualized it that we've missed the beauty and the big picture of the story. It's not just that Jesus died to take away your sins. It's a bigger story than that. It's that Jesus died and the cross, it doesn't just get rid of sin, but it brings about the possibility of a world without sin. It's not just that, hey, Jesus died and was raised and you've given your life to Him and entered into Him through baptism and now you have no more sin. It's that Jesus is gathering His people. He's building His churches throughout this world with people who resemble Him and are trying to live out Jesus' prayer. Father, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, it's not just that the sin is gone. It's that now death has been defeated and there's a possibility of a world without sin. A world without pain. A world without hurt. A world where Jesus is now Lord. And because of that, the world that we are a part of is different. But the problem is those mirages keep popping up. Those mirages keep telling you, hey, there's life here. Buy, buy something new and you'll feel better. Get a promotion and you'll feel Make more money and you'll feel better. Eat this and you'll feel better. Right? Have a relationship with this person and you'll feel better. And it'll give you life. And it's like we continue to crawl and crawl and crawl and crawl and crawl and it's always just out of our reach. Leaving us empty. Leaving us wanting more. But what if? What if what you were longing for? What if what you were hoping for? 
isn't a mirage. What if you, you crawled to it, hungry and thirsty and longing for something to fill you, and you found it? You, you found a different way that the world works. Where, where everything that we face here and now is just temporary. It's all part of a bigger picture. And I wonder what it is for you. What, what is that visual illusion without substance or reality? What is that visual illusion? that you assume is going to fill you and make you feel complete. Because this announcement, this announcement that Jesus is now Lord, that Jesus has now conquered all, that everything is under His dominion and His power, it changes everything. And when you finally reach it, when you finally find it, your soul finds rest. But what's really interesting is even though we find it at times, those mirages still pop up. And they still invite us to pursue them. Come on. You'll find Life and hope and fulfillment. You'll be like God. And you won't have any problems or conflict and everything will be okay. Come on. But there's something better. There is something that no matter what is not a mirage. It's not a mirage. It's, there's 500 plus people that saw that He defeated death. There's a bunch of people that saw that the tomb was empty. And these words from John in Revelation, the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of our God and of His Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever. And in that gospel, in that good news, we find hope. Father, today we thank You so much for that good news, for that gospel that gives life, that gives hope, that brings healing, that creates a world. Father, not a world just where our sins are taken away, but a world that it's possible that sin does not have the final word. That death does not get the final word. And so, Father, we put our trust and we put our hope in Jesus. And we declare that Jesus is Lord. And, Father, we bow our knee to You, the one true God.
who is king over all. And Father, we find such hope in the fact that the tomb was empty. Not, not just these, this rumor or this gossip, but this fact that people saw Jesus alive. And so, Father, we trust in You. Father, for those here today, like, like me, who find ourselves constantly chasing after mirages, things that do not fill, that do not lift us up, that do not give us hope, Father, I pray we would recognize them and see them for what they are. And Father, turn once again to You. We thank You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could help you at all this morning, if you've never given your life to Christ and entered into Christ through baptism, we would love to offer you that opportunity to do that. Um, but we're also going to have our shepherds and their spouses around the back of the auditorium. If we could do anything to help you as you follow Jesus, we would love to do that while we stand and sing.